will be from 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. And it reads, for, the light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You may be seated. Well, I certainly thank you for being with us today, and it's always a privilege and a pleasure for me to be with you. Thank you for the wonderful way that these men have led us in our worship service, for the scripture reading and the prayers, and of course for the beautiful singing and the wonderful songs that we've sung today. I'm always very grateful uh, for them. And I encourage you to come back and be with us if you possibly can, especially tonight at 6 o'clock, and our young people are going to be... Uh, uh, leading us in worship service uh, at 6 o'clock. We do this periodically where our young men will come and lead us in worship service. And Nat, of course, always does such a fine job in leading them and preparing them. And I hope that you'll come and take uh, a moment to encourage them because we have such a fine group of young people and young men who've obeyed the gospel and want to lead the singing and speak and lead in prayers and, and uh, <clears throat> such a great responsibility, but yet they handle it so well. And if you noticed up here today, so many young people leading us uh, in our worship, we're very grateful and very, in a Christian way, very proud of you, and I hope you'll come and be with us tonight, and they'll be leading us in that uh, worship service. I ask that you please remember, and more will be said about this, of course, but I ask you please remember our gospel meeting. Brother Sam Wilcup will be with us. We look forward to that. Brother Sam's a fine gospel preacher, very faithful, and just such a fine Christian man, and I hope that you'll take the time to come and get to know him better and uh, learn from the wonderful lessons that he's prepared for us. You'll find cards out there in the foyer. Take those. Our bulletin front has been designed to help you and encourage others. You might give a bulletin to someone. Let them know of our work. And uh, I hope you will, and I hope you'll be here yourself as we will be the beneficiaries of the study of God's Word as we endeavor to apply it to our lives day by day. I saw this passage in 2 Corinthians, and the passage is in verse 4, and the thought that I had in mind, of course, is the idea of us looking and seeing. And a lot of times we see that which is uh, physical and neglect to see the spiritual. But Paul makes very clear here in this passage, verse 17 and 18, that the spiritual is just as real. And that we need to be looking at that which is eternal. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Notice how he mentions it here in verse 8. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, that which we don't see with our physical eyes just as real and even more so than the physical world in which we live. And it's important that we see what God wants us to see. Sight is such a precious thing, isn't it? If I may take just a brief moment, uh, when you think about our eyesight, what more precious 
faculty do we have than that? Oh, it's important to be able to move and to be ambulatory and to be able to walk but, and to be able to hear. That's an important faculty, but our eyesight, how important is our eyesight? And to be able to see, uh, it's an amazing gift from God, a creation from God. Uh, you know, you could take that one item there, the eye, and the way it functions with all of its elements, putting it together. Surely it shows great design, doesn't it? And design on that level shows a divine designer. Theistic evolution would come along and try to say that God would use the evolutionary process in order to bring these things about. But how could that be? First of all, you'd have to prove evolution to begin with. Organic evolution. The evolvement from a lower life form to a higher life form. And that's just false. It can't be proven. But secondly... How could an eye function without all of its parts coming together perfectly at the same time? It would have to. It'd never be able to function unless all the elements came together just exactly right in order to make sight a possibility. The only explanation for it, God created it. It's the only explanation. God gave us sight. But God also made clear that if we're not careful, we won't see what He wants us to see. Matthew chapter 13, in an explanation about the parable of the sower, it's one of my favorite parables. A sower went forth to sow. Some seed fell by the wayside, fowl of the air came and devoured it up. And really he's talking about human hearts. And he goes on to explain about this matter. And he also explains why he spoke in parables. It's an interesting point, and he does take a quotation from the book of Isaiah. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. His point about the matter of parables is, for those who are willing to see and willing to hear their precious truths to be learned. But it's sort of a safeguarding truth whereby the individual who wants to abuse the truth and destroy it won't be able to discern it and won't be able to do so. For people who are willing to hear, there's great truth to be found. And so he spoke in parables. Precious truths that we as God's people and all If they open their eyes, they can see it. If they will look at what God wants them to look at. And that was his point from Isaiah. Isaiah, in the long ago, he said, Now this people's, their heart is waxed uh, hard. It's cold heart in their eyes. They just won't see. It wasn't that they're walking around with their eyes shut. They just wouldn't see it. It was available for everybody. And the question comes to mind, you know, are we seeing really what God wants us to see? Peter talks about this matter. comes to us in 2 Peter chapter 1, and it's an interesting passage. Perhaps you'll want to look it up on, on your occasion. And he talks about the Christian graces, we've come to call them, you know, knowledge and virtue and faith and self-control. It's a wonderful list of what we should do in order to be growing as children of God. And it comes to verse 9 when he reaches the conclusion of the point. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. 
having forgotten that he was cleansed by, from his former sins. Now the person who does not have these things in his life and utilizing these particular matters and growing by them, uh, he's uh, near, so nearsighted he can't see. He just, just can't see what God wants him to see with his eyes. Matthew chapter 6 is another passage in which this, eye, this idea of the eye and seeing the will of God and the word of God for our lives comes to, uh, comes to our mind. He says in verse 22, the eye, in the Sermon on the Mount, the eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in, in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's talking about what we see. Are we going to accept the truth or are we going to reject the truth? While I'm talking about this, I think I'll just keep talking in an introductory type of fashion. And, and I don't want to spend a lot of time introducing the thought, but the Bible spends a lot of time on us looking at what God wants us to look at. For example, in Mark chapter 8, why he spends special attention with regard in verse 18. Having eyes do not see, and having ears do not hear. And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? You see, he rebukes them with regard to their lack of faith and their failure to see the importance of the miracle. Why, they could see it, but it just didn't sink in. They could look at it and look at it. They just didn't pay it proper respect. They didn't pay attention to it. They could see it. But there again, they just didn't let it sink in. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2 talks about the matter. One. In the second chapter, notice verse 14 as he talks about the importance of seeing the truth of God, the Word of God. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained to greed, accursed children. He goes on in this particular passage, and it's a, it's a wonderful paragraph for us to consider very carefully. But he said, now all they're looking at is the physical Eyes full of adultery. Uh, all they're looking at is the sin that's in this world. And I guess I have to ask myself the question by this time, what am I looking at? Am I looking at what God wants me to see? You can see the physical, but you can also see the spiritual, the eternal, which is just as real, maybe even more so than that which is physical. First John chapter 2. Here's an interesting verse with regard to what I should be seeing. We all ought to mark this passage in our Bible. I'll start the reading at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now here, notice verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing says, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You ought to mark that passage. Passage once again is in 1 John chapter 2. Verse began in verse 15, 16, and continuing on through 17. 
It's not that we can't see. We misuse our eyes sometimes. We look at the wrong things. Or we're not looking at the right things and they just kind of go by us. And these Bible passages, and I've given you several that I suggested for our study already this morning. And the fact is he's asking us, you know, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the sins of this life and the sins of this world? More concerned and focused on that? Or are there spiritual things out there that you see, but you're just missing it? You're not focusing on it. You're not being perceptive with regard. really wants us to see. I'll tell you what I did one time. I, um, and I don't recommend this at all. Please do not do it. But I drove... When I drove from the house up here to the parking lot one day, I was so focused on something else. I don't know what I was thinking about at the time. And there's a stop sign between my house and this parking lot. And I drove into the parking lot here, and I began to think, did I stop at that stop sign? I don't remember if I stopped or not. I just don't remember. And I drove all the way up here, and I don't know whether I stopped or if I slowed down. I do this every day. Now, I don't recommend that. I recommend that you stay focused on your driving and that you look at every stop sign and you obey every, every law that comes along that the, uh, this fine municipality has legislated for us to obey. But I think the point is clear. It happens in my life and it happens in your life. Sometimes I don't pay attention. Sometimes I just don't see it. It's there, and it's obvious, but I didn't see it, because I'm focused on, I'm looking at this over here, and I'm looking at that over there, but I'm not looking at what God wants me to look at, and so I ask the question, are you seeing what God wants you to see? Well, what does God want me to see? One thing God wants me to see are the blessings that God has given. That's the first thing that came to my mind when I really started examining myself. Am I really what God wants me to see? In James chapter 1 and verse uh, 16, uh, he tells us, um, verse 17, 16 and 17, every good gift comes from above. Every good gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's a great passage. It talks about the fact that God blesses and blesses, and He's given us every good gift and every perfect gift, and there is no shadow or variation of change within Him. You know, the old sundial situation, how that as the sun moves, the shadow moves on the sundial. God doesn't change. He's steady and steadfast, and He continues to give, and He continues to give. Am I seeing that? Or do I just go through life looking at this and looking at that, just so accustomed to the blessings that God has given that I don't really give time and attention to the fact of focusing on the wonderful blessings that God has given me. And when I start thinking about that, then the list gets bigger and bigger all the time. I've got life. What a precious thing God's given me. I'll tell you something else i got. Health. And maybe I don't have perfect health. But i got some health. And I'm grateful for the health that I have got. I got some blessings. And every good gift 
is from above. He's given me some wonderful physical blessings. Well, look, I have a home to live in. I have food to eat. I have an automobile to drive. I have so many precious blessings. I have a family. I have, you know, I've got the greatest grandkids in the world. Now, I know you've got grandkids, but they're not as good as my grandkids. And I look at pictures, and my daughter send me pictures of the grandkids, and the other daughter, she'll send us pictures, and son-in-law, and they'll send us pictures. Oh, look at the pictures of the grandchildren. Look at what family we have, and look at what blessings we have. What are we looking at? Are we looking at what God wants us to look at? Or are we looking at everything else except the blessings which God has given? What are we looking at? Let me tell you, I had a friend woke me up in the middle of the night. I'd helped him out, and I really didn't. I wish he'd just leave me alone let me sleep. He didn't need to call me up and thank me for it. He had a son, and his name, this friend of mine's name was Tom, and his son was born with uh, deficiency, and, and uh, his son, I can't remember his son's name right now, laid in bed. His life was laying in bed. He couldn't get out of bed. And for years, that's where he lived. And Tom and his wonderful wife cared for him. And they saw everything after him. They saw about him. And I want to tell you something about Tom, what Tom taught me. How much a man could love his son. I just didn't realize that a man could love that much a son. And be so devoted. I'll tell you something else Tom taught me and his son taught me. Life is very short and very uncertain. That could have been me laying in that bed. I could have had that particular burden. Life is so fragile. It could have been one of my children for years and I have to do everything for that child. But I didn't have that burden to shoulder. But he did and they shouldered it. And I'm being delicate in this particular matter because I could tell you so many much, so many more things with regard to that situation. But I didn't face it. I got other blessings, blessings. Oh, God's blessed me. What in the world am I looking at here? Am I looking at the blessings? Those are the physical blessings. And I began to think about the spiritual blessing that God has given me. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, it's one of the strong points he makes in the first chapter of Ephesians. God's given me every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That's verse 3. And if we took the time to analyze that wonderful verse, Paul says, oh, we're so blessed because God's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And then you go through this chapter of Ephesians 1. And I picked out seven different blessings, and I'll not mention all of them here uh, this morning. But just speak about it in a read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. He saved me. He's given me forgiveness. I can go to my Heavenly Father directly and pray, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I repent of those sins, and He'll forgive me because I've been obedient to the gospel of Christ, and I've been baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. And He calls me a child of God because of it, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. He loves me. I'm talking about physical blessings here. Why can't I see that? 
Why is it that I blessings before I really appreciate them? I have these wonderful blessings. Romans 8 talks about the providential care that God gives me. I wish I knew more about that. I, I wish I knew more about all the wonderful things that God does do for me. I'm going to read that verse for you because I think it is one that we ought to think about carefully. And you've heard me read it a number of times and I've thought about it and prayed about it and, and I know you have too. Romans 8 and 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now there's a lot more to this verse than I'm able to convey this morning. But one thing is for sure, no matter what situation in life, there's going to be a blessing come out of that. No matter what difficulty I face, there's some blessing that I'm going to receive from that because God's taking care of me. God loves me. God providentially provides for me. And I wish I could tell you all about that. But I don't understand all about that. But I know that He does. I know that through natural means God cares and He loves and He provides. And He does all these wonderful things. What a blessing. That's a blessing. When am I going to see that? When am I going to start looking at what I... Rather than seeing all the other things around me. And not focus on what I need to be focusing on. Like driving to work and driving in the parking lot not knowing whether you stopped at the stop sign or not. Just go through life in an automatic type of routine and never see what God wants you to see. When are we going to start looking at the blessings that God has given us? Now's the time. Let's do it right now. And start considering the blessing God has given. Tell you something God wants you to look at. And you hear me talk about it a lot. God wants you to look at His Word. And if you look at the way God phrases it in the passages of the Bible, and I I listed the passages that came to my mind, and I thought, well, you'll want to write these down, and, and you'll want to consider them, though I won't be able to do them justice at all. Colossians chapter 3, 16, you know this verse very well, it's a passage that talks about letting the Word of God dwell in you richly. He uses the word dwell there. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Now the, the point that I really got out of that verse was this word dwell. He's admonishing me to look at the Word of God and let it live in me. Just like I would live in my house, so let the Word of God live in me. Let it live live richly. Let it live fully in my life so that it really makes a difference in my life. And that I know it so well that when a situation comes up in life, I can say, I'm not going to do that. You know why I'm not going to do that? Because I already know what the Word of God says on that. Because the Word of God is living in me, and the Word of God is dwelling in me, and the Word of God is leading me, and the Word of God is directing me. I'm following its leadership. That's what it means to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is to follow the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And that Word's in my heart, and that Word's in my mind, and I'm going to do what God says because I've made that commitment of faith. That's what the Word of God is doing for me. It is keeping me from sin and error. 
Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, verse 32. Another great verse. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. That one verse right there could solve much of philosophy's problem. The word of God is the truth. Are you looking at it? Am I focusing on it? Or am I just going through the motions? That other verse that I have up there comes from James, James chapter 1 and verse 21. And I use the King James English word there, engrafted, because I think it's a vivid term. My English standard says, therefore, put away all filthiness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I like the word engrafted. Implanted is a good word. The word engrafted means it's kind of joined to me. Uh, We all understand, you all understand it better than I do, the idea of one type of plant being grafted into a different type of plant, and it gives life to that which is grafted into it. It's joined together. And that's what he's saying about the Word of God. Let it be joined to you. Let it dwell in you. Look at it. Study it. Focus on it. And let it lead you and guide you and direct you in your life. And don't be looking at everything else. And when something else does come, you know, that's not the way to go. Because you've studied God's Word. And you know what God's Word says. And if you don't know what God's Word says, then you're going to study it and carefully consider it. I Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, but I think I'll go on to Hebrews 2 and 1 because that's what really hits me, and that is this idea of my negligent attitude toward the Word of God. Hebrews 2 and 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Look at it carefully. Pay close attention to it, lest we drift away from it. You know, we can fall away from the Word of God. If we don't give earnest consideration to His Word, what does God want me to see? God wants me to see His Word. And not just look at it, but focus on it and learn it. And ask questions about it. And look those questions up. And come to learn what God wants me to learn. I've got to do more than just give it a passing survey. I've got to, and I like to use this word, I've got to drill down into the Word of God. I've got to get down into it. And I've got to learn what these words mean. And I've got to look up those Old Testament passages. And when they cite an Old Testament passage, let's say from Isaiah, I'll stop and then I'll go back and read from Isaiah and see how Isaiah used that. Or it might be from Micah. Or it might be from Malachi. And then I'll read that. And then I'll come back to that New Testament passage. I'll continue reading. And somebody will say, well, that takes a lot of time. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. But we better be using our eyes for the purpose God gave us. And that is to look at his word. And if you'll study that way, look at what knowledge you'll come away with. And what understanding you'll have with regard to the word of God. But I'll tell you what. There's some opportunities out there I wish I could see. And I have to be, I have to tell you, you know, I'm preaching to myself here. 
I'm preaching to myself as much or more than I'm preaching to anyone out there in this auditorium today. I just wonder how many opportunities I've missed because I just didn't see it. I was so concerned about what I was involved in or what I wanted to do that I didn't see an opportunity come along and I missed it. And you know what happens to opportunities? When you don't take advantage of them, they're gone. And you're not going to get them back again. I think it's a common thing that we have to overcome and we have to be very careful about. And I'll tell you who else had this problem, the apostles, in John chapter 4. And that's what made me think of this particular matter. What Jesus said in verse 35, Do not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. John 4, 35. Now we have to ask ourselves the question, why did he say that? Why did he say, look and see that the fields are white into harvest? He goes out of Galilee. He's going up up out of Judea, up into Galilee. And what he does is he crosses through Samaria, which is the central portion of Palestine. It's a rather arduous journey for him, and so he comes to the well at Sychar, and he sits down. There's a woman that comes up to the well. The apostles have gone off to buy provisions. A woman is drawing water, and Jesus turns to this Samaritan woman, and he says, give me a drink of water. She says, how is it that you would ask me, a Samaritan, for water? She says, Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And that's an important historical aspect to remember with regard to the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews hated them. And the Jews looked upon them as compromisers with the way of the world and wouldn't have anything to do with them. Most of the time, people making that kind of journey would ford the Jordan, go around Samaria, ford the Jordan again, and go on into Galilee. They hated Samaria so much, and the Samaritans, they wouldn't even go through Samaria. But Jesus goes from south up to north and stops at that well and speaks at that woman, and she's amazed at that. He said, you know, if you were to ask me for water, I'd give you living water, of which you would never thirst again. And she said, well, how can you do that? You don't even have anything to draw with, thinking that Jesus is referencing some kind of physical type of water. What he's trying to get her to see, that he is the Messiah. He says, now go tell your husband. Where's your husband? She says, I don't have a husband. She says, that's right. You've had five husbands. The man you're with right now is not your husband. She says, I believe you're a prophet. Now that mountain right up there, you see there? See how she shifts the point, dodges the matter? Now our forefathers say we should worship at Mount Gerizim, and the Jews say we should worship at Jerusalem. Where should we worship? What do you say? They said, the hour is coming when men shall not worship in uh, uh, Gerizim. But the hour is coming when they will worship, for God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the apostles, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. There's so many opportunities out there. And yet so many times we looked at everything else but that. Why did the apostles ask that question about food? They are more concerned about their everyday chores, their everyday tasks. Jesus is more concerned about doing the will of God. And he says, I've got food that you don't know of. He says, doing the will of God, that is food for me. They said, does somebody give him food? They can't see the opportunity that is there before them. Why did they actually say that? It's a great message for us. It helps us see about the importance of the opportunities that we have day in and day out. I need to be concerned, just as the apostles should have been concerned on that occasion, about helping people see the truth of God's Word, helping them understand it better. I suggested three things there that we need for that. We need facility, we need people, we need program. And guess what? We got all that. We got all the facility we need, we got all the people we need, and we got the program found for us right here in the Bible, the Word of God. We got everything we need to open up our eyes and see the opportunities that's before us. Do you know an opportunity that's coming up before us? It's a gospel meeting. A gospel meeting planned by the elders of this congregation to help us understand the Word of God better. Sam Wilcutt is a very capable gospel preacher. He's a very engaging speaker, a very faithful, very sound speaker. Where are we going to be? Here's an opportunity. Will we take advantage of it? There are many opportunities on a daily basis, and then there are opportunities that we, as a group of people, will use the facilities and the people and the program, the Bible, in order to take advantage of the opportunity. Will we do it? Or will we have a wasted opportunity? And I'll tell you, once you waste that opportunity, you don't get them back again. When I thought about what wants me to look at, there was another point I want to uh, emphasize to you, and I don't want to forget it. I want us to see the danger out there. There's people out there and doctrines out there that will lead us astray. And I hate it that it's that way, but it is. There are some people there who will try to teach you error and lead you away. It's amazing to me, but it happens. It doesn't matter whether you are in the pages of the Bible. Don't add to or take away from the Word of God. He says it's in the book of Deuteronomy. He says it in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 6. He says it in Revelation 22 and verse 18 and 19. It doesn't matter where you are in the Bible. At the beginning, the middle, or the end of the Bible, God is constantly telling people, don't add to, don't take away. And it seems to me to be the height of blasphemy for anyone to try to do that to try to change and alter God's Word. But yet they do it in Galatians 1. He said, I'm so, so amazed that you're moved away from the gospel of Christ, which is not another. But there be some who would trouble you and would pervert. The word means twist, change, or modify the gospel of Christ. We've got to see the danger that's out there. We've got to be warned by it. Paul warns about chapter 8. Verse 12 and 13. 
if you're going to follow the way of the flesh, you will die. You will die. Romans 8, 12, verse 13. If you follow the way of the Spirit, apostasy, the false teacher. 2 Timothy chapter 4, you and I are very familiar with the passage. Tells us back in chapter 3, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom... Preach the word. That great word, preach there. Proclaim it. Tell people about the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Itching ears simply means... They will gravitate to people who will say it the way they want to hear it. They will gravitate to the one who says it their way rather than God's way. There's a danger out there. And that we've got to be aware of it. You know what, brethren? We need to open up our eyes. We need to open up our eyes to the blessings that God has given us. And I love to talk about God's blessings. And I've spent some time doing that today. And we'll go from this place and we'll have fine meals and we'll have family around us. And let's always be thankful for the blessings. Open up our eyes to the blessings God has given us and never forget to see them. And let's never forget to see the Word of God. Always study God's Word and learn and apply what God is saying to your heart. And look for the opportunity to serve. Sometimes it may be just... Congregation helping here or helping there. Look for the opportunity. Focus on the matter. And we've got to be so, so careful that we follow nothing but God's divine word. For in it, if we follow God and God's word, it'll carry us right on into the portals of glory. And we'll never be ashamed in focusing on avoiding the danger and following the word of God. Now's an opportunity for you have never obeyed the gospel. Now's an opportunity for you to focus on God's word and your life and repent of your sin. And say within your heart and your mind, I'm not going to live that kind of life any longer. I'm going to become a child of God by being baptized into Christ, just like the Bible tells me to. There in turn live the Christian life. Lord, add you to his to read about in the Bible. Now look at this opportunity and obey it today. Won't you come? Well, together we stand and while we sing.